Hello everybody and welcome in to episode number 241 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading 2 Corinthians chapter 6 today and our focus is on what is the best four-word description of the Christian life and what does it mean to be unequally yoked? Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Our goal is to encourage you in daily Bible listening, hearing, following, and understanding. And our website is Bible2021.com. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul gives us a spot-on description of what Christian leaders should be like. And in the midst of that wonderful description, he gives what I've previously called the best four-word description of a Christian in the Bible. Disclaimer, this is my opinion only, but these four words seem to capture the essence of Christianity so well that uh, I just want to repeat it. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 6, Paul says, grieving yet always rejoicing. In other words, he's talking about himself and his fellow apostolic leaders that they are grieving yet always rejoicing, and I believe that is such a good description of the Christian life. And isn't it interesting to hear that kind of description from the Apostle Paul, one of the most mature Christians to ever live, and somebody who was called to ministry face-to-face by Jesus. And that description seems quite different in tone and content than what many prosperity teachers and preachers proclaim, and probably a lot of what you would find on the best-selling Christian bookstore shelves. But it, Paul's description, grieving yet always rejoicing, is so much more true to life, right? Jesus was a man of great joy, but also a man of sorrow, says the word of God. Paul himself saw many incredible triumphs in mountaintops, but also suffered through incredibly extreme difficulties. Well, in this world, we will have tribulation, and thus we will often be sorrowful, but take heart, says Jesus. He has overcome the world, John sixteen thirty three, and thus we are always rejoicing, because no matter what tribulation we encounter in our fallen world, we know that eternal and joyful bliss awaits on the other side, thanks to Jesus. Well, here's a verse that's quoted a lot. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and unlawlessness, or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What does it mean? Does Paul here mean that Christians should not have anything to do with people that aren't Christians? Well, of course not. As we can see from other commands in Scripture, like 1 Corinthians 5, 9-10, through 10, when Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this word or the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. So, in that passage, Paul seems to even almost urge Christians that it's okay to associate with people who are even obviously sinful in the world. We are not at all commanded to withdraw and take a sort of puritanical, circle-the-wagons kind of approach that keeps us from having any contact with the non-Christian world. And, to be fair, the Puritans didn't really do that either. But, God's word is commanding us to do something today, and it is a strong and obvious command. We cannot be yoked together with those who do not believe. Well, but practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, let's think about it as we read our chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See. 
Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We're not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything, by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet recognized, as dying, yet see, we live, as being disciplined, yet not killed, as grieving, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet enriching many, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We've spoken open to you, openly to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. I speak as to my children. As a proper response, open your heart to us. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. So yoked, Y-O-K-E-D, is not a word we encounter much in our modern world, but of course it refers to two or more animals harnessed or working together. Paul is speaking metaphorically here, of course, but what is he forbidding? A marriage? A business partnership? Working with non-believers? Well, here's Pastor Sam Storms with an excellently researched and scripture-soaked answer to that question. One hears people quote this passage almost as often as John 3.16, but with considerably less clarity and understanding. What does Paul have in mind? What is the background to his exhortation and how does it apply to us in the 21st century? The situation in view here was not a new one for Paul, having addressed it earlier in 1 Corinthians 6 and 8. Some professing Christians in Corinth were visiting the temple cults of any number of the pagan religions in the city, perhaps even engaging in sexual activities associated with that worship. The problem was most likely the reason for Paul's second emergency visit to Corinth and his follow-up letter that's found in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, the unbelievers that he describes in this passage were unconverted Gentiles who were involved in worship at the Greco-Roman mystery cults of Corinth. His command then would be for Christian men and women to withdraw from such unholy and immoral alliances. But does the principle behind the command extend to other issues that we face today? Yes, it does, but we must proceed cautiously in our application. Although Paul doesn't seem to be writing about marriage at all in this text, certainly the principle would prohibit a Christian entering into such a covenant with a non-Christian, as we also see in 1 Corinthians 7, 12-15 and 1 Corinthians 7, 39. Just as we are commanded not to put asunder what God has joined together, we must be diligent not to join together what God has put asunder. Sadly, though, some have applied this passage in ways that Paul never sanctioned and that would, in effect, make it difficult to live, much less work, in a secular society. For instance, 
There's no indication that Paul is forbidding or condemning business relationships with non-Christians, whereas I believe it is biblically permissible, even necessary, to do business with a non-Christian. Entering into a legal partnership with one calls for discernment and caution. Paul is in no way forbidding or condemning friendship with non-Christians. If anything, I believe he would encourage them, but even then, how close is too close when it comes to fellowship with the unregenerate? There's certainly nothing here that would forbid or condemn association and cooperation with other Christians who may disagree with you on secondary issues. And contrary to what some have suggested, if two unbelievers marry and then one subsequently comes to faith, he is not instructing the latter to terminate the marriage relationship, as we also see in 1 Corinthians 7. As far as contemporary application is concerned, the separation Paul has in mind between Christians and non-Christians is spiritual and moral, not spatial. The principle is this, Enter into no relationship or bond or partnership or endeavor that will compromise your Christian integrity or weaken your will for holiness or cast a shadow on your reputation. See also James 4, 4 through 5. Those committed to righteousness have no partnership with people given to lawlessness. Those who live in the light of God's revelation are not to be yoked with those who walk in spiritual and moral darkness. Quite obviously, Christ and the devil agree on nothing and have no harmony with one another. Likewise, a believer and non-believer share no spiritual common ground. As Philip Hughes has said, the unbeliever's life is centered on self. The believer's life is centered on Christ. The treasure of the one is here on earth. The treasure of the other is in heaven. The values of the one are those of this world. Of the other, those of the world to come. The believer seeks the glory of God. The unbeliever, the glory of men. However, Paul is not denying here our common humanity or suggesting that there's literally nothing that we share. As Calvin wisely reminds us, when Paul says that the Christian has no portion with the unbeliever, he's not referring to food, clothing, estates, the sun, and the air, but to those things which are peculiar to unbelievers from which the Lord has separated us. Finally, if the Old Testament prohibited the introduction of idols into the temple of God, how much more horrendous is idolatry in the life of the believer? Are we not ourselves the only temple in which God shall ever dwell? Yes, we are. What is most important to remember then, says Pastor Sam Storms, is that this is not a call to create a Christian ghetto, but a summons to purify the Christian community. Paul does not have in mind, in view, the life of the church in the world, but the life of the world in the church. The former is both good and inevitable. In other words, the church should be in the world. The latter must be avoided at all costs. In other words, the life of the world must not enter into the church. Well, that's some good things to think about. To bake your noodle on, I hope you ponder it today. Let's close with our Bible passage for the month of August that we are memorizing. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.